Charlie Succiarini. Double duty. That's fine. <laughs> Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, uh, open up to Matthew 4.23. We'll be reading Matthew 4.23 to 5.20. Okay, yeah, if you could please stand, if you're able to. Okay, so Matthew 4, starting at verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness, and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those which had the palsy, and he healed them. And they followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, he said his, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye all are salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is then for good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it on a bush, under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, in verse 
19, 19 and 20 will read, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same uh, shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. You may be seated. So the Sermon on the Mount is probably, is, is the, not probably, is the, uh, the greatest sermon ever preached. Uh, and probably one of the most profound uh, passages in all of the New Testament and maybe even the entire Bible. Uh, here we have Jesus giving his own theology from his own lips. And just like any sermon should um, move the heart of man uh, to respond to God's word, uh, no doubt Jesus' sermon uh, did move the heart of people that were listening. Uh, Open to Matthew 8. Just look at Matthew chapter 8. That's the end. The end of the Sermon on the Mount, and it says, and this is immediately after, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, they came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if that wilt, if it please you, if you're so inclined to, that canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, I will, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. No doubt this leper was among uh, the multitude that followed Christ after uh, his sermon and followed Christ down the mountain. What moved, though, this leper to come to Christ and ask him for healing? Maybe hear Christ when he said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. By the way, according to Leviticus 13, that leper wasn't even supposed to be there, right? According to Leviticus 13, he was supposed to how? Where was he supposed to dwell? Alone, outside the camp. And he was supposed to put his hand over his upper lip and yell, Unclean! Unclean! How did he make his way to Christ? Well, obviously, he more than likely camouflaged himself uh, so no one would see his condition. But what came evident in this man's heart? What, what did he come to believe about Christ? We read, and Charlie read in, in Matthew 4, 23 and 24, that the fame of Christ went throughout all Syria, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and disease. And they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and palsy. And Jesus healed them. Remember in Matthew uh, 11, John the Baptist sent two of his um, disciples to Christ and said, Are you the one, or shall we seek another? And what did Christ say? Tell John the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, 
the dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached unto them. I believe this leper really came to believe and understand who Isaiah was speaking of in Isaiah 35. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and the streams in the desert. Streams in the desert. A fountain in the desert? Yeah. Remember Jesus at the well? Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of springing water up into everlasting life. The leper obviously believed who Jesus was. He saw that the law could not, had no ability to save him. And we see that, right, in Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10.1. For the law, having a shadow of things to come, not the very image of the things, can never in, in, in those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. The leper saw that following the law could not make him perfect. He came to believe that only Jesus can make him perfect. But he's not the only one. He's not the only one that was moved by the words that Jesus spoke on the mount. Look at verse 5. And when Jesus entered into Capernaum, they came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily, I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be, in, shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And here lies the theme of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, entering into the kingdom. Many shall come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus here is prophesying how the unbelievers, unbelieving Jews, the heirs to the kingdom, these unbelieving Jews who are heirs to the kingdom will be cast out, while the believing Gentiles will sit. And that word sit down has the idea of reclining, really suggesting a banquet, a term often used by the Jewish people to speak of the prophesied blessing of the prophesied kingdom. So for Jesus to commend the faith of this Gentile was a rebuke to the Jews, and a rebuke we should take heed to as well. 
So this morning I want to take a look at two things, two questions really, that the Sermon on the Mount uh, at least raises to me. What is the kingdom of heaven? If we're going to get there, if we're on our way to the kingdom of heaven, then we ought to know what this kingdom of heaven is. And then what is Jesus' intended purpose for the Sermon on the Mount? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your word, for your um, for the words that you have provided and given to us through your son here on this mount. God, we ask that just as those people, those multitudes, those disciples, really, uh, that were listening, God, that we would even listen this morning to your word, that you would allow us to eat, just glean a little bit, just a little, Father, of your kingdom, a kingdom that we will inherit. So bless us now, fill us with your spirit, in your name we pray, amen. You know, the scripture is very, very confusing when it comes to this theme of the kingdom of heaven. It is rooted deeply in the Old Testament. Isaiah 11, if you remember, and if you can, you want to turn there, uh, the first five verses, Isaiah gives the vision of a coming king. And then in verses 6, he starts off uh, of a coming kingdom. The wolf also shall dwell in, with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. Verse 7. And the cow and the bear shall feed. The young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. The suckling child shall play in the hole of the asp, which is basically the hole of a cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the cockatrice's den. Cockatrice is a, is a viper or a snake. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a great a root out of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Isaiah is prophesying of a future kingdom, a future kingdom full of peace, safety, and security. Can you imagine living in a world of peace, safety, and security? Well, you, you're not going to believe what happened to me this week. I, I got a new job, by the way. I love my new job. Uh, God blessed me with a dream job, actually. Um, and I, I praise him for it. Um, and I'm, same, I'm in the same industry. Uh, I used to be a project manager, but now I'm a technical director. So uh, people come with me with, with problems, but at the end of the day, they're not mine anymore. Um, <laughs> so which is really a good blessing. It's really, it's an amazing blessing. Um, so last Friday, uh, not this past Friday, Friday before, um, I had like a two-hour, three-hour call with one of the engineers, and he had issues with uh, a project he designed, and, and it kind of finished in construction, but um, they weren't able to uh, occupy it. It was in a, it's in a hospital. The hospital is in East New York. Um, it's two floors, and it's basically a, a psych ward. Uh, so I was able to go through and, and, and take a look. And I never believed that there were rubber rooms, but there was actually rubber rooms. 
Um, so we had to go in there and just survey some things, and, and I'm trying to figure out what's wrong. So I left from home, and I figured after going to East New York, I would go back um, uh, into the office. So I had all my stuff with me, my, my laptop, my, my jacket, um, my bag, everything. So we get to the fifth floor, um, and we walk in, we walk through the double doors, and we kind of walk to where the um, construction was, and it was unoccupied, totally, there's no one there, no one. Um, not even a cockroach, I mean, it was empty. <laughs> Uh, and, and no, no mental health patients. It was th physically completely empty. So we had to go to the fifth floor, sixth floor, and then, and then the equipment was on the roof. So we put our stuff down, we put our bags down, jackets and all. Um, it's kind of hard to go up into ceilings because we had to go up into the ceilings and take and pop our heads. And so anyway, um, we did that for about maybe 15 minutes, just 15 minutes. So we got back, we said, okay, let's go to the, to the sixth floor. So we got back to where we put our stuff, we took our jackets and bags, I'm walking, and my bag was really light. And I'm like, why is my bag light? I looked in, my laptop was gone. Someone stole my laptop, my work laptop. In 30 years, 30 years, it has never happened to me. I have been to so many job sites, um, and left my bag unattended, and ever, never, ever, never did anything um, disappear. So my laptop was gone. My, my heart sank. I was on the fifth floor. It went probably down to the basement. And I didn't know what to do. I just went uh, to security, um, and, and there was security there and a the policeman, and the, and the policeman said, call 911, but you're the police. Um, <laughs> And, and he said, well, I'm, I'm on duty, but you got to call someone else. So I called 911, and I'm like trying to call 911, and it's like my fingers were just doing other things. And finally, the police came, and they came within a half an hour, which is great. I, I was, they, they said it's going to be probably all day. I was like, I'll, I'll wait there all day. Uh, and they came within a half an hour, took the report. Um, and the laptop, actually, it's locked. So locked meaning they can't get in. Um, it, it's tied to my phone, so you need a code, uh, you need my phone to, to get the code to get in. And then I called immediately IT and said, they took my phone, they took my laptop. So he put a, another lock, in, uh, so if they went online, it would immediately lock again, if they tried to. That's why Adrian, I didn't want to use my laptop today. Um, so they gave me a brand new laptop, I mean, brand new, um, the following day. I mean, the, the, the IT guy was, was already on it. Um, um, preparing it for me, and anyway, Tuesday night, uh, I, I got it, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, anyway. Um, security, safety, um, and I thought about, wow, I cannot wait for the day that I can leave my bag unattended, not lock my door um, at night. We have to lock our doors at night, right? Um, but there'll come a day, uh, folks, that we will not need to do this anymore not have to worry about um, things getting lost. No, no, stolen. <laughs> we can still lose things. Um, so a future kingdom, Isaiah is prophesying of peace, safety, and security. Matthew 25, verse 31, we, we read that Jesus returns uh, in glory with all his angels. And he says, 
Uh, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There's an inheritance coming, brothers and sisters, an inheritance coming for us, prepared for us, okay? Are you ready? Prepared for us. We also see this uh, inheritance in 1 Corinthians 15.50. Now this I say, brethren, that, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So there is a future kingdom that God, um, that we will inherit when Christ returns in his glory. When this corruptible will put on incorruption. And this is really the kingdom that John the Baptist is preaching when he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is the kingdom that John the Baptist is referring to. But you know, then we come across verses like Romans 14, 14, 17. You can, you can, you can go there if you like, Romans 14, 17. Uh, the context here is being a stumbling block to your brother or sister, Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy with the Holy Ghost. Did you get that? The kingdom of God in this passage is a present day spiritual reality. We are not to be a stumbling block to our brother here on earth, it's not a future kingdom. Matthew 12, 22 to 28. Remember, this is um, in Matthew 12. Jesus was healing um, the possessed man who was blind and dumb. And what did the Pharisees say? You do this by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of, of, uh, um, of the devils. And in verse 27, Jesus says, And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Again, Jesus is referring to a present-day kingdom. A present-day spiritual reality. Not future. It's now. One more verse. Colossians 1.13 Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The moment, the moment we are born again, we are, the Bible says, translated or transferred from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his son. Kingdom of heaven, same thing. Kingdom of God, same thing. So this is an immediate transfer. It's, it's not future. It's a present day spiritual reality. So, we see a kingdom that is future, but then we see a kingdom that is present day, a present day spiritual reality. How can it be both? How can it be both? When we, when, you know, when we talk about the kingdom, in, in present day, you know, we, we talk about the kingdom, uh, we, we think of a region, right? We think of a realm, um, and King Charles III, right? He is king of the UK, right? Great Britain. Uh, kingdom can also be considered the citizens of that kingdom. 
But this idea, this understanding of the kingdom really is not, doesn't bring us close to what the Bible is referring to as, as kingdom. If you take a look at, um, and I did this, take a look at um, um, Webster's Dictionary, you go all the way to the bottom, there's an archaic definition of kingdom, and it's defined as kingship. So basically, it's the king's personality. It's the king's character. It's the king's dignity. Um, it's his position. So this definition really brings us a little bit closer to what the Bible sometimes when it talks about the kingdom of God. Turn to Luke 18. In Luke 18, verse 17, we are told by Jesus that we need to receive the kingdom of God as a little child. Again, the kingdom of God is God's kingship, is God's rule, God's authority in our lives. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. What's being received in this verse? Heaven? The people of heaven? No. What, we, what the child ought to receive, or we, what we ought to receive as a child, is God's rule and reign and authority in our lives. Actually, turn to Luke 19. Luke 19, really, it's the parable of the 10 pounds, and it makes it really clear here. Uh, Luke 19, in verse 11, Luke 19, 11, And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh unto Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into the far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent messengers after him, saying, We will not have this man reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded that these servants be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. What kingdom did this man go to a far country to obtain? He didn't. The realm was the, or the kingdom, the, the realm, the region, was where he left. He didn't go to get another realm, another region. He went to get permission to rule and reign. This man was not a king. He did not have authority to, to govern. So what he did was he went to go and get permission. And that was the custom of that day. Remember, um, um, Judea was under Roman law, but the Jews still governed Judea. So this is what this man is doing. He's going to a far country to get the uh, authority to be king, to rule in that region that he had just left. So God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is really God's reign and rule and authority in our lives. 
Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Again, what are we seeking? The church? Heaven? We are to seek his righteousness, his rule and reign in our lives. And this made me think about um, so many people that we, that I, at least I've been associated with, even in this church, um, that have come and gone. And think about, think about someone in your life. It can be family, it can be a friend, it can be someone in this church um, that put something else, that pursued something else besides God, besides his righteousness. What happened? Well, they put distance between themselves and God, right? They put distance between even them and us. Them not pursuing the righteousness of God and his rule and reign in their lives really distant themselves from God and his people. We really need to understand, though, what Jesus means when he says in Luke 18, we need to receive the kingdom of God as a little child. Really, in context, if you know the context, Jesus is rebuking his, his apostles, his disciples, his 12. Um, they, want, they wanted to be the greatest in the kingdom. They wanted to secure their position and sit on Christ's right hand and left hand. Remember that? But a child is indifferent. He's indifferent to greatness, indifferent to power. You know, a child represented the, the, the lowest of the, the social status. Someone who is weak, innocent, insignificant, dependent upon another's authority and care. So really, God's view of greatness is humility. It's, it's not power. Uh, it's submission. It's not dominance. And this is how we need to really like a child, receive the kingdom of God, God's rule, reign, and authority in our lives. Being proud is not going to um, sit well with God's rule and reign. Because you're either going to want to rule and reign yourself, or you're going to want to rule, or let God rule and reign your life. So, there's a physical kingdom that we will inherit, but also the kingdom of God um, is in us. It is God's rule and reign. There's a future physical realm that we will inherit, yes. It's also a present-day reality. We are living out the kingdom of God, and it is God's rule and reign in our lives. Now, this is just the surface of the kingdom. I mean, it goes much deeper. There's things I don't even understand. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Jesus, it says that he will give up the kingdom to his father. It will be an eternal kingdom. It is not the new heaven and the earth. I don't know how that all fits in together um, and, and how Jesus will rule and reign in that kingdom. The mode and method may be different. I have no idea. But there is an eternal kingdom, you know, past the, the millennial kingdom. There's an, there's an eternal kingdom there. So we just, 
I'm just touching the surface here. This is like, this is not deep at all. So that's the kingdom of God. Uh, the second question, what is Jesus' intended purpose uh, uh, regarding uh, of the Sermon on the Mount? Why did he give the sermon? Why did he give the sermon? We need to understand, if we're going to apply the Sermon of the Mount to our lives, then we need to really understand how to apply it, or maybe even help others apply it to their lives, right? So what's Christ's intended uh, uh, purpose for, for the Sermon on the Mount? Well, his primary purpose was to simply teach his disciples a code of conduct in anticipation for this coming kingdom. We read in, in verses 1 and 2, and seeing the multitude, what did he do? He went up into a mountain. So Jesus goes up into a mountain for what reason? To avoid the multitude, to avoid the crowd. He wanted to be alone with his disciples. And when he was set, or when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So it was really customary in those days for rabbis to, when they taught, to sit down. So when his disciples saw what Jesus was doing, they knew very well what was going about to happen. They knew what to expect. And it says there, and his disciples came unto him. But the disciples here weren't just the twelve. Okay, these disciples were, remember in John chapter 6, that there were many disciples following Christ, and Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no eternal life in you. Remember that? And they said, mm, no, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. Um, you know, nice knowing you. Take care, right? I'm paraphrasing. But this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Now, the Bible has, um, the Bible tells us that those disciples really went back uh, and no more to walk with Jesus. But, you know, things haven't really changed today, have they? Things have still not changed today. People still see walking this Christian walk really hard. And they leave. They leave. They leave Christ. Whether in their heart they're born again or not, I don't know. I'm not that they're judged for that. Um, but many see walking this Christian walk really difficult, this Christian life really, really hard. And there was one person here years ago, years ago, um, he was on fire for God, on fire. He went to the Discipleship Institute. Um, he was even preaching in the pulpit on, on, on during ABF. And he met a girl. Uh, the girl was eight, eight, uh, she didn't believe in God, she was an atheist. And not too long after that, he became an atheist. How does that work? And he totally denounced Jesus Christ and left church. How does that work? How do you come to, to church, uh, have a zeal for God, Take Pastors Institute, right? Learn all that stuff. Uh, come and preach in a pulpit. And then meet someone and fall in love. And I don't believe in God anymore. God doesn't exist. So walking this Christian life is not easy. And you know, Jesus knows how to separate um, uh, the unbelievers from the believers, right? He knows what to say. 
When his disciples came unto him, verse 2 says, and he opened his mouth. Well, how else was Jesus going to teach if he didn't open his mouth? Again, Matthew is writing to convey um, that Jesus is being deliberate. He's being deliberate in, in what he's about to do. And his disciples are getting ready. They're getting ready. Um, do you remember the commercial E.F. Hutton? How many remember the commercial E.F. Hutton? Ooh, okay, that's not many. All right. Okay, it was in the 80s, all right, all right. Um, okay, I'll explain, I, I'll, I'll explain the commercial. You never heard of E.F. Hutton? Oh, man. Yes, so, so E.F. Hutton was a brokerage firm. Um, it was a brokerage firm back in the 80s. They probably don't exist anymore. Um, so in the commercial, uh, there's these two businessmen, and they just come off a plane, and they're getting their bags from the conveyor belt, and, and they're in an airport. And one of the guys says, you know, my, my uh, investor told me that uh, this will really do me well. And the other, um, and he said, what, what does your broker say? And the other man says, well, well, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And he said, and when he said that, the entire airport stopped and did one of these. <laughs> this is the scene, really, in the Sermon on the Mount. The disciples are getting ready to hear what Jesus is about to say, and Jesus focuses all his attention on teaching his disciples how those in the kingdom of heaven ought to really act. It's not a description of how to get into the kingdom. It's a description of those that have already embraced the lifestyle of heaven. You know, the minute, there, there were a lot of interpretations, a lot of interpretations on what the Sermon on the Mount is. Um, there's a view that it leads, or it's a guide to salvation. Right? You know, this, this is the good works you need to do to get saved. And that's totally wrong. We know that, right? Titus 3.5. Um, then there's a, a view that it's for society. Um, it's a guide for society that um, it will reduce evil and injustice in the world. Um, maybe I would have had my laptop today still, but maybe not. You know, we are evil creatures, right? It, it's the, the work of God in, in a regenerated person um, that really brings about change. Um, then there's also, you know, people say it's, a, it's the code of conduct for the church, right? Um, this is the way the church, um, we're in the church age, and this is the way the church is supposed to act. Well, no, uh, because um, when this was preached, Jesus was still where? Under the law, right? You know, G the birth of Jesus did not bring the birth of the church, he was still under the law. He was preaching and teaching under the law. Galatians 4, right? So that can't be right. And people also, another view is um, it, it's how we are going to be in the millennium. But think about that. There is some truth to that. Um, but in the Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus say? What are they to pray for? A coming kingdom. Why pray for a coming kingdom if they're in the kingdom? You see? So it can't be the, the rule of conduct um, of those are, that are in the kingdom. So we're waiting for it, right? 
um, the, the, the Jews um, had rejected the kingdom, it's postponed, therefore the, the characteristics, the, the code of conduct for that kingdom is postponed. We don't need to act that way until the kingdom comes. No, um, that's not true either. But what it is, is, is this interim stage in anticipation for, <clears throat> anticipation for the kingdom. That is what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's a code of conduct as we are waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Remember we said the kingdom of God is what? God's rule and reign in our lives now. The kingdom of God is a present day reality. We are to be salt and light now so that others will come to a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. In the face of persecution, well, you might say, and this is true, you might say, or others might say, well, really, it wasn't just the disciples that Jesus was talking to. And it only applies to, to the disciples. And it doesn't only apply to the disciples, but to the multitude. Because in, in Matthew 7, if you take a look at the end of the sermon, in verse 28, it says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these things, the people, the same word, the multitude, were astonished at his doctrine. So it's true. Jesus was talking to the multitude at that time. You see, it shifted. It shifted in the middle of chapter 7. If we read closely all three chapters, uh, the tone, the tone of how Jesus is speaking changes in chapter 7. We, we see, uh, as it starts, Jesus has this one, it seems like it's on this one-on-one -on -one teaching, this encouraging, this training. But then, when we get to verse 13 of chapter 7, it sounds more like he is talking to a broader group. And the tone becomes one more, uh, more of examination, of warning, of judgment. Matthew 7, 13. Enter ye, take a look, enter ye at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, you there be that find it. Beware of false prophets. You shall know them by their fruits. Every tree that bringeth not forth fruit, good fruit, is hewn down and cast into the fire. Verse 20. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You see how the tone is much different here than the rest of the Sermon on the Mount? So the crowd by this time had gotten much closer to Christ, and Christ was aware of it. And it kind of changed his, his tone somewhat. You, you can really tell. Let's look at verse 21, 721, for a moment. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will. It can also be translated decree or command of my Father. This is the problem with Christianity. It's, it's deception. 
deception. You know, we think what we believe, and we think what we ought to do will bring us into the kingdom. And this is the problem that the scribes and Pharisees have, right? Unless your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, these scribes and Pharisees were not like these liberal progressive Jews. They were hardline, conservative, law-abiding Jews. I mean, the scribes were the authority. They, they, they studied all their lives the law, the scriptures. Uh, the Pharisees, you know what the word Pharisees means? They were separatists. Um, you know, they, they were like the elite of the elite. Um, they followed laws that they kind of exceeded Moses' law. So these aren't just like these, you know, liberal, um, what we call today liberal Christians. These are really hardline, uh, ceremonial, we can, we can say that, ceremonial Jews. And they followed a real strict law, and they were proud about it. They were really, really proud about it. What does their righteousness look like? What does the, the, the righteousness of a Pharisee look like? Look at Luke 18, verse 10. Two men, Luke 18, verse 10. Turn there, Luke 18, 10. Two men went up into a temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed, thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give thighs to all, my, all, all that I possess. Interesting, Luke says that this Pharisee prayed with himself. Really, what that phrase means is the, his prayer was directed to himself. He wasn't praying to God. He wasn't worshiping God in his prayer. He wasn't praising God at all. He was focused on himself. I fast twice a week. Find me anywhere in the law of Moses where it says to fast twice a week. You're not going to find it. Tithe of all that I possess. What were they were supposed to, uh, to tithe? All their possessions? No. Their increase, right? Their revenue. Not all their possessions. So they went further than what the law required. And they took pride in doing that. That was their righteousness, you see. They based their righteousness on their works. Their religion was completely external. Completely. Completely outward. And Jesus said, what did, what did Christ say later on? They worship God with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So the Pharisees really had a, a hypocritical righteousness, very hypocritical. They even graded the commandments. Matthew 22, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And look what Jesus says in verse 38, Matthew 22. This is the first commandment. This is the first commandment. Okay, they graded the commandment. 
This is the first commandment, Deuteronomy 6.5. And the great. Yeah, it's great, but it's the first. You see, the Pharisees graded the commandments. Which is the greatest? And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Leviticus 19.18. You know, but Christians do this too, don't we? We do. We grade sin. Maybe not consciously, but we do. I'm not a fornicator. I'm not an adulterer. I don't look at pornography. But I'm proud. I'm arrogant. Legalistic. Respect of a person. A glutton. Imagine telling Judas, uh, Judas, it's not so bad. It's not something to kill yourself over. You just betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It's not like you committed adultery. That would be worse. Matthew 19, 519, Matthew 519. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. That phrase shall break, uh, it, it, it has this idea of to relax, really to relax, to loosen. Um, so Jesus is saying here, even the smallest commandment, even the smallest commandment, we ought to follow. Even the smallest commandment is important. Not just what we pick and choose, <laughs> what we grade um, in, our, in our minds to be important or worse. And this is how uh, hypocrisy and self-righteousness really sets in. When we start to grade um, commandments and, 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 and sin, really. And this is what the scribes and Pharisees did. And, and this is the basis, really, of Matthew's rebu- uh, Jesus' rebuke in Matthew 23. Right? Woe, you scribes and Pharisees. That's the basis. Beloved, the kingdom of heaven is not something really out of our reach. It's not. It's not. It's, it's within us. If we truly are seeking his righteousness... So Christ gave us a code of conduct. He has given us a code of conduct that exemplifies one that has entered the kingdom, one who has entered the kingdom of heaven and has embraced the lifestyle of a citizen that belongs to that kingdom. And God will establish that kingdom on earth one day. You know, they are called Beatitudes for a reason. They are called Beatitudes for a reason. They are beautiful attitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. These are really beautiful attitudes to have. Will you embrace this heavenly lifestyle or will you wait for Jesus to confess, I never knew you, ye that work iniquity. Let's rise for a uh, word of prayer. Let's rise for a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word. 
we thank you, God, that we are privileged, even privileged, to, to have in our possession uh, this Sermon on the Mount. Entering the kingdom, God, you, you have given us a code of conduct, a code of conduct as we enter the kingdom. But, as you say in John 3, unless a man be born again, he cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. Unless a man be born again, he cannot seek righteousness. Unless a man be born again, he cannot even think about having God's rule and reign in their life. Unless a man be born again, there is no possibility of entering his future kingdom of peace, safety, security. Dear God, you call us to be salt and light to this earth, to this world, this dying world. Help us, Lord, to have these attitudes. Help us to be pure in heart. Help us to be meek. Help us to be merciful. But God, the only way that we can even attain these beatitudes is by the power of your spirit. I do want to ask if there's anyone here today that does not know Christ as their savior. The Pharisees were deceived. They were in their own righteousness. They had a really good head knowledge. They did. They knew God's word very well. But there was no heart knowledge. None. They hoped in their works. They hoped in their law that they followed. Beloved, are you hoping solely in the work of Jesus Christ? Or are you hoping in something that you're doing? Think about it. Is there one here today that would say, you know, Carmine, I have been trusting in my works and really not in what Christ has done. I know I do not have the kingdom of God in me. I do not have his rule and reign and authority. I have not seeked it as a little child. There are other things that I'm pursuing. Yeah, God, I'm sure I'm pursuing God, but that's not priority in my life. If there's someone here that has that thought, I'm not going to call you out. Just raise your hand only so I can pray for you. I see that hand. I see that hand. 
you can be sure, you really can be sure that you are in the kingdom of God. Again, it's not future. It is not. It's now. Having God's rule and reign is now. Father God in heaven, I do want to pray for this one person who did raise their hand. Pray, O oh God, that you would work in their heart, in their life. God, that you would show them the truth of your word, the reality of the kingdom, your kingdom, being transferred, translated from the power of darkness into the power of light. And God, help us, though, those who are truly born again, Lord, help us to be salt and light in the face of persecution. Help us to be salt and light. Lord, we just touched on the surface of your kingdom. And we only touched on the purpose of the Sermon on your Mount, on that Mount that you preached, that you taught. Not really a sermon, Lord, it was you taught your disciples. God, teach us. Teach us to be at your feet, learning from you. Give us your strength and your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing our last song, When We All Get to Heaven. Sid. Um, one.